0: a series entitled Restoring the Image of God, and as I often say, this image isn't about trying to give God a facelift uh, or doing a um, public image uh, reinvent for God, no, it's about us getting our focus right and seeing God as He really is. My sermon this morning, or my title this morning at least, is called The Picture of Your Faith is Your Portrait of God. The picture of your faith is your portrait of God. In Mark chapter 11, verse 20 or 22, sorry, in Mark 11, verse 22, Jesus said this Have faith in God. He didn't just say have faith, he said have faith in God. Now oftentimes we relate to faith as a formula, and I said a couple of weeks ago that faith isn't a formula. While there is a formula to faith, faith really is a relationship. It's the relationship I have with God. The relationship I have with you is really going to be based on what opinions I have of you, and therefore, if I have negative opinions of you, there's not going to be that much of a relationship, is there? No, unless I'm just looking for someone to torment me, uh, I'm going to avoid how much of me I open up to you and how much trust or confidence I'm going to put in your words, and so Uh, Faith is more a relationship than it is a formula. And I've chosen this verse this morning because while Mark chapter 11 is a phenomenal expose of the exercise of faith, I think we pay very little attention to the first four words than we do to the rest of the next four verses. And the first four words really set the tone, have faith in God. We have faith in a lot of things, but faith, really, to have its divine power released is to have faith in God. Faith doesn't have power by itself. Faith, it's like confidence, you know, confidence doesn't have power in and of itself, Confidence releases the ability that is in you. When you're full of confidence, your ability becomes untapped and you start to perform at your optimum. Well, faith in itself doesn't have power, but it's what my faith is in that gives it power. And I can have faith in a pumpkin, but it's not going to do a whole lot of good for me unless I'm Cinderella you can have faith in whatever, but that's not going to untap the unlimited supernatural power of God. It's when I have faith in who God is. It's when I have faith in the character of God, the person of, of God. When my faith is focused in Him, I, un- I start to untap According to the measure of my faith, I start to untap or tap into the supernatural unlimited power of God. So the same way confidence or self-confidence, self-confidence in itself is not a power. But self-confidence allows me to tap into my maximum potential if I have little confidence, I can have more ability than I have confidence. How many of you know that there are areas of your life where you have more ability than your confidence will say so? That's the truth, isn't it? But when your confidence rises up to the level of your ability, you will untap or you will release the potential and the ability that is in you. The same with faith. Faith isn't a power in and of itself. Just like your confidence paints an image of who you are. Your confidence determines how you see you. And when you enlarge the picture of your confidence, when you enlarge the picture of your ability, your confidence then releases you to act out to your optimum or your maximum. It's the same with faith. Faith only has the power of the picture of who it's vested in. Faith doesn't have a power by itself. But if I have a small picture of God and it's still a picture, I untap that level of God's power and God's being. But as my picture or confidence in God grows, my faith is untapping more and more of the power of who God is. Restoring the image of God is about you and I getting into a place where we start to be healed of every negative image and every negative circumstance from our past, which somehow has a way to overlay itself on our image of God. This whole series started with the fact and the the theological premise that we were designed in the image of God. And therefore it was God's destiny that man would reflect who he is. That is an immutable, unchangeable fact. God ordained that man would reflect. The purpose of man was to reflect the image of God. And Satan, in his cunningness, understood that that is a destiny, that is a principle. He broke the image of man. He caused man to fall, and as we interact with one another, while you might be The person who hurts me and wounds me because of the principle, the destiny of reflecting God, somehow my interactions with fellow broken human beings overlays itself onto the image of God. The person you chose to love the most and it ended up in broken relationships Sadly, as as horrendous those scars and the effects of that tattered relationship are on you, it also leaves a film. Whether we purposely do it or not, and usually it's unintentional, it leaves an image and a stain over the picture of who God is. And so over the last few weeks, the Holy Spirit has enabled me through the word to show many ways in which we've actually lost sight of the correct image of God based on the wounds and the bruises and the disappointments that we've walked through in life with fellow human beings. I want to make it very clear before I go on with the title and the purpose of today's message. That the way to rectify the past is to forgive it. The only way to rectify the past is to forgive it. The judgment we make about people and the judgments we make about life when we are in the scenario that we are wounded in The judgment we make about people, the conclusions we come to, becomes the sentence we wear. What we cannot forgive, we will face over and over again. These are great one-liners. And they're not written down. You know, the best preaching I do is the stuff that just comes. It's unpremeditated. I'm going to ask the guys to play back the last sentence because I can't remember it. See, I, I don't premeditate this stuff, but as I open my mouth, I trust the Spirit of God to bring even deeper truths than my mind entertained. What did I say about f- forgiveness? What I can't forgive, I will face again and again. Now, you think about this. Everybody, come with me. Look at me. Listen to what I'm saying. If there has been a wound in your life that has hurt you so tragically that you cannot come to a place of releasing it and bringing forgiveness to the person whether they ask for it or not. Remember, forgiveness is not saying you condone what they did. Forgiveness releases you. Because the the way that forgiveness releases you is that if you don't forgive, that thing is tied to you. The bitterness of it is tied to you, and the demon behind the circumstance that made the event take place, he is also tied to you. And so what you cannot forgive, you will face again and again and again. The judgment you make, the judgment you make when someone wounds you, the, the conclusion you come to in your mind, the bitterness you harbor in your heart becomes the sentence you wear. Now, follow me on this level, purely logical, but it is spiritual. You know, it, it concerns me that people think God is illogical. You can't understand God. That's a load of baloney. <laughs> See, I went back to food. <laughs> that, that's a load of baloney. God can be understood, and there's no one who makes more sense than God. I'm going to say it again, because you haven't convinced me that you believe it. I said nobody makes more sense than God. We live in a crazy world, but God's world isn't crazy. God's world is a world of order, divine order. Therefore, Things follow sequentially. They make sense. There is logic. There is purpose. There is order in God's world. In the world controlled by the enemy, there is always confusion because there is always disorder. Where you have disorder, you inevitably will have confusion. So follow this line of thought. What you can't forgive, you will face again and again. If the enemy knows that a particular type of scenario has brought you such a wound that you are still reeling from it, you are still flowing in the spirit of unforgiveness and bitterness, then he knows that that shot to your bow was a successful hit. And it is only prudent to him. To hit you in the same way with the same method again and again and again. But when you can forgive, when you can show the grace of God, when you can come to a mental place, an emotional place, and a spiritual place where you could look at the perpetrator and say, I don't condone what they did, I don't like what they did, but I understand they are as broken as I am, and God forgives me, therefore I'm going to forgive them. When we can come to that place, we disengage with the spirit who brought about the wound and therefore it becomes a strong place rather than a weak place. And when we have truly allowed the spirit of forgiveness to be in our heart, the enemy knows that we have become stronger in that place. And so he'll look for another way, but he knows he can't get us there. But when we don't allow forgiveness to flow, what we cannot forgive, we will face again and again and again because the enemy knows if you took a hit there and you nearly went down, that's a good place to keep hitting you because you still haven't recovered from it. Not for the sake of glorifying uh, brutal sports, but you're taught in boxing that if you injure your opponent where he has taken a severe hit, you work on that location again and again and again. In football, if you see a, a weakness in your enemy's team, your opponent's team, then you will play that weakness again and again and again because it will always work to your advantage. And it's the same with our lives. What we cannot forgive, the enemy sees that we've not recovered from the last hit. And so he will hit that again and again and again. And so if someone has wounded you and you really don't like it and you've been reeling from it, the sooner we show the same kind of grace to those who have wounded us that God shows to us, the sooner we'll be set free from that curse. The judgment we make is the sentence we wear. Hang on a second. I've got to have a praise session. This is good stuff. Thank you, Jesus. This is good stuff. It really is. This, this is what I call counseling preaching. It's the kind of preaching that puts the principles of God in a very clear way and makes a very neat package so that we can take it and counsel ourselves and get set free from the stuff that's messed us up. Amen. Absolutely. And if you ask the, guy at the, the guys at the back for a copy of the notes, none of this is in there. So uh, I would recommend you listen to it again. talking about restoring the image of God what I can't forgive in my brother will always be overlaid unto the image of God you see the apostle John when he was writing one of his epistles not the gospel when he was writing one of his letters to the church his first letter in chapter 4 verse 20 says how can you say You love God when you don't love your brother. You see, he's inferring there is a divine principle. How you love other people affects how you love God. How you see other people affects how you see God. Because of a divine principle, God created man in his image. And the man you can't forgive is the God you indirectly blame. They tell me that the reason why you all are so quiet often when I'm preaching is because you're thinking about it. I trust you're thinking about it. There are connections in the realm of the spirit. And we need to recognize these connections. The, The quicker we apply ourselves to learning the principles of the spirit world, the quicker we will get back on deck, and find ourselves sailing with the wind of God blowing into our sails. I want to flow with God. I want to get all the garbage out of my heart and all the garbage out of my mind so that I could flow with the blessing of God in my sails. Can I get an amen? Amen. Come on, give him some praise. So Jesus said, have faith in God. In the context of this series, effectively what Jesus is saying is, come on, up your picture of God. Have faith, have confidence in God. Now remember, he's talking to 12 disciples who've come from a very legalistic, religious interpretation of who God is, and Jesus is constantly having to revamp their thinking, I'll give you a perfect example. One day, Jesus is walking through a cornfield with his disciples, and they hadn't eaten for a while, and they were feeling a little bit hungry. Everybody say, hungry. Hungry. Now, if you've never felt hungry, raise your hand. If you have never succumbed uh, to hunger, raise your hand. If you have never allowed hunger to overtake you, raise your hand. If you have never fought back against hunger by overindulging, raise your hand. You have never overindulged, Juliet? I know. I was hoping to trick someone. Most of us are like the rest of us. So Jesus is walking through a field and his disciples who have grown up in this legalistic, religious interpretation of who God is, they see Jesus starts picking ears of corn. Now it happened to be the Sabbath. And the Pharisees they surround Jesus and from their picture of God, from their faith, their concept of God, they said, you're breaking the law. It's the Sabbath. You are exercising energy. You are laboring. You are working. You are harvesting a harvest, and you're breaking the law. And Jesus turns around, and so, so simple, so pure, so childlike, says, the problem is you don't understand God. You think God made rules to rule over you. But God made rules to protect man. The whole concept of the Sabbath is so that man can rest. But if you're going to drop dead from starvation on the Sabbath, the rule has mastered you and destroyed your destiny. Can you all see that? Jesus said, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The rule wasn't meant to be our master. It was meant to be our blesser. God set aside a day of rest so that we would rest and cause this body to be re-energized. You see, the whole issue behind that conversation is that they had a very legalistic picture of God. They didn't understand the spirit of God's intention because their picture of him was completely wrong. And so this point that Jesus makes when he says, have faith in God, he's bringing the focus back to God and he's saying, guys, I want to widen, I want to broaden, I want to expand your image of who God is. You see, in the end, the reality is that Whatever your faith looks like, that's your portrait of God. And Jesus is saying, I want your image of God to be enlarged. Have faith in God. And then, of course, he says, I say to you that if you speak to this mountain and believe in your heart that what you've said will come to pass and you don't doubt it, if you are absolutely persistent and convinced then what you say will come to pass and that mountain will be moved. Believe you have received it and you will receive it. In other words, you have to be convinced you already got it before it shows up on your doorstep. How many of you have ever used your credit card online in Amazon? Put your hand up. Come on, everybody. If you've ever done it, raise your hand. Okay. Is there anyone here who absolutely refuses to use their credit card online on Amazon? All right. One or two. That's all right. That's fine. But for those of you that have used your credit card, you expended your money into an invisible entity absolutely convinced before you even get it, that it will end up on your doorstep. And if you really don't believe it'll end up on your doorstep, but you still use your credit card into that invisible arena, and you don't believe you're going to get it, I welcome you to use your credit card towards Rob Scarallo any day of the week. You see, we exercise faith Because we have a picture of a system and the system will work. We believe there are checks and balances and we will end up with the product. And so we're willing to spend the money before we've even picked it up. At least when we went to stores with brick and mortar, you can actually feel it. You could actually touch it. You could actually try it on. Today we exercise even greater faith in a corruptible system and we will use our credit card and we will spend the money and we don't even know what that thing smells like. We haven't even picked it up. We haven't even touched it. We haven't even felt it. Why? Because we have confidence that if we don't like it, we can return it. And according to your picture of faith in the system will determine how confidently you'll go forward and use it and maybe even reap the benefits of what's online or in Amazon. Jesus says to get it right, it's all about getting your picture of God the Father right. Israel was struggling under an archaic, religious, misinterpreted image of God. They needed to spend more time reading the Psalms and getting a revelation of the God that David believed in. They were hung up on rules and regulations that were written in ink And all they could see was the black and white of what God said, but not the spirit of what God meant. And Jesus is saying, I I want you to experience a God who is so much bigger than your legalistic, confined mentality. Have faith in who God is. Have faith in his generosity. Have faith in his benevolence. Have faith in his goodness. You see, when I started this series, I said that if there's one text that would apply to every sermon, it's this, Hebrews 11, verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Stop. You understand? Your picture of God will please him. And when we don't have a a good picture of God, it'll make him sad it's impossible to please him. You can't even press the happy button until you start getting a picture of God. And the more your picture of God lines up with the word of God, the more you please him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he is and must believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now stop, before we say yes or no, we agree or disagree, we have to agree on this. If we're going to follow the word of God, then we have to really believe that this is the inspired word of God, while written by men, it was spoken to them by the Holy Spirit of God the Father. Can I get an agreement? So God the Father says, there are two things that are really important about me, that you have to believe. You have to believe that I exist. And two, the next most important thing is if you're going to believe that I exist, what kind of a God do you believe me to be? I want you to believe it is equally as important that you believe I exist and you believe that I am a rewarder. Of those who diligently seek him. You see. The very thing that Satan did in the garden. he, He does every day. To every human being. The whole issue of the fall. That took place in the garden. Was an issue of let's question. The character of God. Let's bring to debate. Is God everything he says he is. And the very fact that he used to counter the benevolence of God, was, well, uh, God is actually trying to keep something from you. God is trying to, though he said he's created you in his image, he knows if you eat of that tree, you will really be like him, and God doesn't really want you to be like him. Isn't it interesting that Hebrews eleven six says, number one, you have to believe God is. Number two, got to believe what kind of a God he is. He's a God who rewards. In other words, that counters the lie that Satan said in the garden. And I'm going to tell you, in counseling, one of the most common things that I face in counseling is the underlying question in people's mind, if God is good, why did he allow this, this, and this to happen? And that question is born out of a demon who pressed the button to unfold a negative scenario and then he whispers in, his ear, in your ear and causes you to overlay this situation onto the image of God and we start to question, why did God let it happen? And God says, why didn't you obey my word before you got to step number four? Come on. Good preaching, Pastor Rob. I find it so amazingly interesting and yet so simple that what Satan did in the garden, he does every day of the week in our ear. He tries to get us to doubt the goodness of God. Isn't it amazing? I have to believe God is, and I must believe what type of God he is. He's a God who rewards. He's a God who blesses. He's a God of goodness. I find it equally interesting that Jesus, in the middle of his ministry, says, Time out. You're never going to win this game until you identify who the opposition is. So let me give you some ground rules of discernment so that you could engage in the right way. The thief, what does he look like? Your opponent, what does he look like? He's the one who comes to steal. He's the one who comes to kill. He's the one who comes to destroy. He's going to take away. Everything that is earmarked with stealing, Killing and destroying, that's the opponent. You will never engage in this game. You will never win and score a touchdown until you properly identify who the opponent is. He said, now equally, let me get the other side of the team clearly defined to you. I am of my father, and I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I remember from my teenage years that became a key verse because I grew up in a legalistic Christian environment and I started to get a revelation of who my Heavenly Father really was and so I was breaking free from a lot of constricts of religiosity. And this verse was like a demarcation. God was deliberately saying, let's paint clear pictures. The opposition Everything he does will steal, kill, and destroy. That's the effect it will have in your life. But everything that I'm an author of brings life and life more abundantly. Now, come on. If you believe that, give the Lord a cheer. Give him an amen. Say, thank you, Jesus. Yeah. We need to settle. We need to clearly identify the uniform. When Jesus says, have faith in God, he's saying, I want to affect Your image, your picture of who God is. And don't let religion put constraints on the image of God. Take them off. Because I'm telling you, that mountain will be thrown in the sea if you have that size of a picture of God. If you can say it with your mouth and believe it in your emotions and not doubt. And believe it's a reality before it becomes a seen reality, it will be your reality. That's another good one. The picture of your faith. Now we're on board. What took you guys so long? <laughs> You, you need to do like they do, you know, in the TV audiences and put a big applause up there or shout amen. I got a funny feeling we're going to see it next week. <laughs> the picture of your faith. If you examine your faith honestly, sincerely, privately, Sit down. Take a look at your faith, what you really can believe. Because when you look at what your faith says, you're going to see what God looks like in your heart. I want the picture of God in my heart to match the picture of God in the heavens. At least nine times Jesus is quoted in the Gospels as saying your picture of God is what has released healing in your life at least nine times. At least nine times Jesus said your picture of God is what has released your healing or the power of God in your life. And sometimes we wonder why we're not flowing in a greater degree of God's blessing. And really it comes back to getting the picture of God in our faith to match up with the picture of God who is in heaven. I'm enjoying this. I'm going to have fun. Uh, You know, I usually go home and I listen to my own sermon and I critique it. I could see myself smiling as I'm listening to myself preach this. This is good stuff. And I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. These are great principles. We need people to speak to us straight and break the deep things of the spirit down so that they're comprehensible, bite sizable Amen. This is bite sizable At least nine times, Jesus said, your picture of God has healed you or released the power of God. I'll give you an example. Matthew chapter 8, verse 13. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way as you have believed, so let it be done to you. And his servant was healed that very hour. One of the things I love about this story of the Roman centurion was that here's a picture of a man who did not have this uh, legalistic image of God. He didn't grow up in a synagogue, he didn't grow up under what was then the modern current ideology and theology of the Jewish church, he was a pagan. The only thing he really knew about God was the picture of Jesus he saw on the streets of Jerusalem. Everybody else was tainted with images of a legalistic, a legal God. This guy, the only God he knew was the Jesus walking around on the dusty streets of Jerusalem of Nazareth, and he saw Jesus as God. And he says, Master, I get it. You're connected. I'm connected to the empire of Rome. I say, go and men, do what I say. You're connected a lot higher than that. See how unreligious his rationale was? He took it out of all religiosity. Did Jesus rebuke him for doing that? The man was being logical. He was connecting dots. He was being analytical. Did Jesus rebuke him and say, "Oh, you got crummy faith. You just got to believe whether you feel it or not. You just got to have this mystical experience." No. This this man without a religious framework put 2 and 2 together and said, I understand chain of command. I understand that. And Rome says to me to speak an order, and I speak the order, and those around me do what I say. This man speaks from heaven. And something in the spirit world changes when he gives a command. And so he said to Jesus, listen, I really don't deserve you coming into my house. You're greater than I am. But I have this servant. I really love this guy. <clears throat> and he's about to die. Just speak the word. Jesus said, the picture you have of God has released. It has untapped the power of God to work in your servant. Go according to the picture you have, your servant as well. Matthew chapter 9 verse 22 Jesus turned and saw her and said take heart daughter your faith the picture you have of God has released your healing and the woman was healed at that very moment. See faith doesn't have power of itself just like confidence doesn't have power of itself what confidence does confidence in you releases yourself to reach the level of ability that your confidence says yes to. And your faith allows the power of God to be released to the level that you say yes and amen to. Matthew 9, verse 29, one right after the other. Then he touched their eyes, the blind men. He said, according to your faith. I love that phrase, according to your faith. I believe that people erroneously preach an extreme of the sovereignty of God. While God is sovereign and he can do anything he wants, he chose to give man free will. He didn't sovereignly choose, I'm going to heal this one, and I'm going to heal that one, and I'm going to heal that one. If that's true, then Jesus is lying here because each time Jesus said it's the role that you're playing and the picture you hold of God that has actually released the power of God to flow into your life. Good observation. Come on, turn to somebody and say, that was a good observation. And the reason why I touch on that is because some people are so... Uh, balled up in a concept of the sovereignty of God at the expense of the free will that he gave man that nothing ever happens unless it's God's will. It is God's will for you to be healed, but you only get healed when you in your free will let your picture of God line up with who God is. Amen. These blind men, they're sitting on the side of the road and they're shouting. Now, their faith is seen by what they called Jesus. They didn't just say, hey, Jesus, son of Mary and Joseph. No, their faith was in their speech. They said, Jesus, son of David. They were recognizing this is the prophetic person who was spoken of by the prophets who would be a descendant of King David, and the prophets said that healing would be in his wings. Immediately, their words are revealing the picture that they have in their heart. This isn't just Jesus of Nazareth. This is Jesus, the prophetic figure that was prophesied about the promise of God, the Savior of heaven. Yes, the one who has come to set the captive free. Their words spoke a picture, and the picture was of the Messiahship of Jesus Christ, the ultimate authority. And their picture was greater than the religious image that was being perpetrated by the church. Because the disciples went up to these men and they said, Be quiet, be quiet. Very religious. Be quiet, be quiet. The disciples. They were still on a journey to getting their head revamped by the Holy Ghost so that they could have a correct picture of who Jesus and God really is. They said, be quiet, don't disturb him. And the Bible says they shouted more. They shouted even louder. Their picture of God surpassed the religious mindset of the church of their environment. They broke out of their religious constricts and they saw God as the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And according to their faith, they were healed. Amen. Go on, Melanie. Stand up. Get excited. Yeah, praise God. Yes, amen. Praise God. On and on it goes. Uh, and you can get the notes. You'll get them on Monday if you sign up. Everyone who has signed up gets a copy of the notes as well as uh, video excerpts of the sermon. In Mark chapter 5, verse 34, he said to her daughter, Your faith has healed you, your image, your perception. The belief that you have about God has set you free. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. In Mark chapter 10, verse 52, uh, Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. The image of God that you have in your heart is so big... It will release the power of God to set you free. Immediately, he received this sight and followed Jesus along the road. Luke chapter 7, verse 50, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Stop. How are we saved? How do we get born again? We believe that. We believe that we are saved by faith. It's not faith that saves us. It's faith in the honesty and trustworthiness of God that he sent us Savior. It is faith in the finished product of what happened on the cross. And by believing that, we're saved. Our faith releases us into the benefit of salvation. We have no trouble understanding that principle and yet we need to apply the same principle to our deliverance, our healing, our blessing, our breakthrough, our miracle. It's by faith. Your faith has set you free, go in peace. Luke 8:48 then he said to her daughter your faith has healed you, go in peace. Luke 18:42. Jesus said to him, receive your sight because you're seeing clearly in the spirit. Though you're blind physically, spiritually, your picture of God is spot on. Now let the natural be unto you as the spiritual already is. Awesome. Luke seventeen nineteen, and he said to him, arise and go your way. Your faith, your image of God is what has contributed to you being made whole. This series isn't meant to be a series on faith so that we get the formula of faith down. Right. No, this series is meant to be a series about corrective alignment so that our picture and our view, our concept and our image of God lines up with the fullness and the reality of who God is. You see, if I could take a bunch of Play-Doh and stick it in a tube and on the end of the tube I could put the the cut out of a star, doesn't matter how much play-doh I have in there, it's only going to come out to the image of the star. And if it's only a small star, I'm going to get a little star. But if I have a big tube, a greater capacity, and I put a little, little star and I got a tube this big and my star is that big, how big is the star going to come out with that play-doh, right? According to your faith. But if I put a star that big at the end of the tube, how big is my star going to be? And if I can only put a star, (laughs) I'll only get a star. You see, it's your image of God that restricts who God is to you. Not God's will. It is already given. It is already done. And while when we work On our image of God. And the disappointments of life. The disappointments. The hurts. Of interactions with fellow beings. As I visit those places. And say dad. That's actually been a. A roadblock. In my relationship with you. I need to forgive that person. I'm not condoning what they did. I'm recognizing that the same way you forgave broken me, who am I not to forgive broken them? And when I can release it, the spirit of that event can't follow me. He's not bound to me anymore. I'm released. When I bolster up That scenario with a positive reinforcement of forgiveness, I can forgive them because God forgives me. The same love the Father shows me, I'm going to show them. My weakness will become a strength and you will find the enemy won't bother trying to hit that side of your ship because he knows you made it impenetrable. And there's a lot of powerful principles in this. A lot of powerful principles in this. Would you stand with me? The title is a key. It came to me suddenly this morning. And as soon as it flashed through my head, I thought, that's it. I'm going to write this down. Mm -hmm. So I have decided, me personally, if my faith, the picture of my faith, what my faith looks like, if that's a portrait of God, I'm going to start visiting what my faith looks like. And I'm going to alter my picture of faith so that my portrait of God starts to line up with who God is. And the way I do that is by going back into my past and fixing the pictures of the moments of hurt and disappointment in my life. with the people that i was entrusted to and i should have been able to trust dropped the ball and that authority image got scarred And every time i look at god as an authority figure there's a scratch in the lens but when i forgive that person who was supposed to love me forever and they didn't and i realize They hurt me. But they're just as broken as I am. And I've hurt people. And if God can forgive me, I'm going to forgive them. Dad, it still stings, but I'm going to trust you to take the sting away. Who am I to be forgiven by you? And I still struggle with forgiving other people who are just as broken as me. Father, I forgive them. No, I'm not saying it was okay or I'm not condoning it, but I forgive them. They're broken. Satan has taken a bite out of them like he's taken a bite out of me. I forgive them, Lord. Bless them. They don't know better. They don't know what they're doing. Isn't that what you said, Jesus, on the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And Father, I visit these areas of my past. And with the same eyes of mercy you looked at me with, I look at them and I say, Father, forgive them. They're broken like I was broken and still in some ways am broken. I forgive them. I let it go. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit starts to polish out the scratch in the lens And the amazing thing is when I look up to my father through teary eyes, the scratch isn't in the vision of him anymore. How do we restore the image of God? By going back to the images of disappointment and doing what Jesus said and forgiving so that we're not handed over to the tormentors. How do you increase your faith in God? (laughs) Deal with the things that hold you to the past and look at the pictures of God in his word and then say yes and amen. That's how it is. That's the God I believe in. He's a rewarder. 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 Those who love Him, yeah. The Lord. As we come to conclusion this morning, I do this every Sunday, and I intend to do it every Sunday, because I never know when there are some here that they don't know Christ as their Lord and Savior, and the Spirit of God is pulling on their hearts. And if you're here today, Maybe you're just from out of town and you're visiting and you just followed the crowd along to church today or maybe you drove past and something said you have to come here today. Whether you've been coming for weeks now. If you have never asked Jesus Christ to come in and be your Lord and Savior. If you've never asked him to take over your life. That's where life begins. When we let him in. Every eye closed. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now, raise your hand. If he's telling you it's time to give your life, surrender yourself to Jesus, come on back to the fold, raise your hand right now and say, Jesus, yes, come into my life. I receive you into my heart. I receive you into my life. Thank you, Jesus. Let me ask another question while we're here. How many of you, as I've been preaching this series, God has been pointing to things in your life? Can I see your hands? Bringing you back to images and moments and pictures. And, Amen. Father, I pray for every man and woman, whether it's online or here in this auditorium. They've raise their hand, then maybe they have fully walked through the healing process and they're already experiencing deliverance. But if not, now Holy Spirit, I ask you to bring the heart and the mind of God to each and every one of them. Because it's not just the wound that the enemy wanted to bring into their side. It's the obscurity of the image of God that the enemy was really all about. Everyone who raised your hand, I want you to repeat a prayer with me. Let's release those things. Are you ready to release those things? Come on, we're going into a new year. I want to go into a new year with a clean slate. I want to go into a new year seeing God as big as God is, knowing God as big, awesome as he is. I want to go into the new year absolutely convinced that at my right hand side when I turn to the right, when I turn to the left, God is looking for an opportunity to bless me, to reward me, to have a party with me. You know that religious picture of God is so ugly. God wants to us to believe He is and that He is a rewarder. And the devil fills religion with a picture of God as being the judge. And he wants to be the daddy who's always blessing his kids. Amen. There's one time, one time only, where God will sit on the judgment seat of who will have eternal life and who won't. And the rest of the time, he sits on a mercy seat. (laughs) Wow, isn't that a contrast to religion? Amen. Come on, if you raised your hand, pray this prayer with me. Dear God, you have forgiven me of so many things. And in the past, I was very broken and very messed up. And yet you had mercy on me. Now, Father, those things that have come back to my remembrance, those wounds, those hurts, those things that have made a negative impression on me, I hold the people involved in those circumstances before you. And I see them. I choose to see them. The same way you saw me the day you forgave me. They're broken like I'm broken. And if you could forgive me, then who am I to not forgive them? Yes, it hurt. I still feel the pain at times. But I release them so that I can be released from this curse. The judgment I made, I release it. I refuse to see them the way I saw them. I see them how you see them and how you see me. Father, I release them today. I forgive them. I bless them. Same way I don't deserve your blessings. I bless them. I bless them. I bless them. I bless them in Jesus name. And I thank you, Dad. Right now, you're cutting the curse. You're breaking the curse. You're cutting the ties between me and that event, between me and you. You're breaking every negative connotation, and you are setting me free right now. Devil, you don't own me, and you don't rule me. I surrender to the Word of God. And by the Word of God and by the blood of the Lamb, I am set free. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a shout of praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, next year when I see you again, Next Sunday is the day right after New Year's Eve, and I know we like to party and eat and have fellowship, but I want to start the new year right here. Do everything you can to be mindful, New Year's Eve. New New Year's Eve will not affect the rest of your life, but your walk with the Lord will. Let's say in our hearts, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. And I'll see you next week. Happy New Year, church.